And welcome to episode 71 of Pixel Sift. My name is Gianni. I'm joined by Mitch. I'm joined by Scott. Each week we do this thing called Pixel Sift where we dig into the world of gaming and we find out all the stuff that matter to you and we pull it apart. And we, you know, sometimes we ask questions that, you know, need to be asked. (laughs) Hi, Johnny. Like this week where we ask some questions to uh, David Clark, who is one of the programmers of the indie darling hit uh, <laughs> Ori and the Blind Forest. Uh, David and his mate Simon, uh, his former housemate, joined us uh, earlier and we talked all about making the game, working to weird time schedules and, you know, where do you go to after you've made this amazing hit? What else are we checking out? Yeah, so if you ask most gamers, they'll fondly talk about their Steam libraries, but WA, WA's own Tim Corwell this week got us thinking, do we forgive Valve too easily for or? and are too harsh on others. Mm. And lastly, we'll be taking a look at some of our most beloved games that our friends just couldn't quite get into. That's it. We'll be checking it all out and more. Right now, though, shall we jump in? We shall. All right, so if you're caught up on gaming news, you may have heard of an article written, written by a West Australian, Tim Corwell, earlier this week. The article has shone some light on some of the shady <laughs> tactics that Valve has allegedly used to make Steam the juggernaut it is today. Shady tactics. <laughs> it, it, it's less what do you shady. Re- what do you think? What do you think? Is it shady tactics? It just seems like very... It just seems like taking advantage of the rules as they were in a world that may not have been ready for that kind of delivery system and maybe just uh, it, I don't think it, it, was, it never was against the law what are, some of, what, are, what are some of the examples of those tactics what are these shady things so basically I guess one of the first things that he references in his article is the fact that Steam was a requirement when playing Half-Life you had to install Steam and it was just one thing that came with the game that was everyone's first experience of Steam yeah forced <laughs> and at the time Half-Life people Half-Life yeah, 2, two sorry yeah, Half-Life yeah. 2 and people didn't like it at first, and they they were kind of weary of it at the beginning, wondering what what this thing was, and and they weren't sure why it was, why it was there, and I guess <clears> it it created the install base and the initial I guess groundwork for its relevancy today. I think what's interesting about this particular uh, issue is that when Steam came out, um, it there was a bit of pushback to it. People did kind of think, what is this piece of software? Why is it being installed on my computer? You know, do I need this? I have a CD key um, yeah. that I can use to install this piece of software and, and, and go from there. But I think it was really, when it started out, it was a it is a DRM, a digital rights management uh, piece of software. Um, and it is there to protect that because in that sort of early 2000s, uh, late 90s, PC piracy was... Oh, it's huge. Rampant. Huge. Yeah. And I think a lot of people at the time didn't didn't love it. But as Steam kind of has evolved, and, you know, I installed Steam a little bit after Half-Life 2 came out when they first started having some other games on the, on the service, not just Valve games entirely. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, it was pretty bad. Like, it was there was lots of problems you couldn't do. You couldn't play the games offline at all. Um, there was no... There was some sales that you had, but there were some things that were restricted to Australians. And, you know, that... 
people have come out now. I remember when um, Battlefield 3 came out on PC. Um, Origin, uh, which is EA's uh, online digital uh, storefront, uh, used a very similar system to what Half-Life 2 did. But because everyone was kind of stuck in their ways and were happy with Steam and had made a lot of compromises, but, you know, they were not willing to open up their arms and open up their hearts to a different platform. And realistically, though, like, think about it. Think about these things like TV channels, right? Just because you like a show doesn't mean that every single channel you watch is just that one channel. There's other shows on other channels, and you might enjoy them. Yeah. yeah. You know, we're not restricted but to that particular... Like, you know, Electronic Arts isn't the most loved um, company, though. So, you know, for them to... You know, have a backlash when they try to release something like that is not that surprising. Um, it is ridiculous, though, in its own way that you know they're not doing anything differently to to Steam really it, it, fundamentally. So there really was no cause for backlash. I guess the question was being asked is like, well, how can we hold Steam in such high regard and then seem to just get ready to pounce on every other one? Well, I think that seems before that. I think as far as the shady business that Valve has done is yeah what we've mentioned but also the fact that they've uh you know fought tooth and nail to avoid um legal requirements basically you know as far as refunds go in australia actually though especially um valve was uh, was fined three million dollars uh, for its violations of australian law yeah um something they fought for ages and ages and ages, ages for it like yeah and that's the funniest thing like they fought ages and ages so they didn't have to spend, so they didn't have to pay you back 10, 15 bucks and they ended up having to pay $3 million. But I think they recorded like a $3 billion profit that year. So <laughs> who cares? Like it wouldn't have affected them. Like it was a small slap on the wrist, basically. It's really interesting because it's kind of these test cases that you sort of see uh, Australian companies and uh, companies in Europe a lot of the time is where these sort of things kind of happen. The refund policy was a big uh, European Union mm. uh, push that digital goods had to have a refund policy. But what that they it did was is they said that they basically said uh, you can have a refund, but it's in it's going to be in Valve credit. Yeah. So like, and this is why this is why it's so confusing that <laughs> yeah. Valve has had is still kind of considered, even though it's, it's not really, it's not considered great because people know it's not great and it always had problems. But it's it, like for someone that's I've only been using Steam for the last twelve or so months, sorry, twenty four months really, and it, it's not too bad. I don't have really huge problems with it. It sounds like it was a nightmare at some point, but I used to also use Origin very sparingly as well, mm. um, and same sort of thing. I don't really have much issue with it. I think that's fine. Um, interestingly enough. This is going up. No, sorry, you go. I've just I was going to say, though, you know, these things we're talking about, yes, look, it's fine. It's great. You know, they've got refund. You've got credit. You can spend it on the next Steam sale. That's all fine. Yeah. Right? These things were things that had to come through, you know, like yeah. they had to be, have the hammer dropped on them and in a way. that's what I'm saying. Like now it's not so bad. I, I feel that, you know, the Steam of yesteryear is kind of gone. But behind the company is still... Exactly that, a, a company that at the moment has a huge monopoly on the service that they provide mm-hmm. because of this really strange stigma around them being the good and everyone else being the bad. It's re- one of the big uh, examples that of most recent memory um, where this, some company has kind of come out and sort of subverted this but mm-hmm. didn't have the same reaction to what I thought would would have, would have happened. Destiny 2, little game, you might have heard of it, um, is <laughs> going to be released uh, on the Battle.net or the Blizzard app store yeah. rather than um, through Steam, through Origin, through their own website. Like that's going to be the patching and social networking uh, pro- program. People generally like the Battle.net stuff. Battle.net's so, been great. They've so, got a really good little feature where you can have all your stuff off on your side screen. Yeah. Um, I mean, Ubisoft have got their own one where you need to log on. I just yep. recently had got Ghost Recon Wildlands, hugely disappointed. But <laughs> beside the point, 
I had to go through and do all the login stuff and I didn't really think much of it. To be honest, yeah, and I think it made it streamlined and pretty easy for me. They made it made it insignificant, really. And I can tell you what the uh, UPlace service that uh, was n- not at that point in the very n- near past, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Like Previously, it was a real chore, and if you were trying to get into these things, and if there was issues with it, it would just they basically had an absolute kill switch on their um, DRM software. So if your internet dropped out, like someone, you know, if it started to rain, if you live in this country called Australia, (laughs) um, it cut it out and there was no quick save. You just lost your progress. What was the old one? uh, Gaming on Windows Live? Yeah, Windows Live. Similar sort of uh, program, sort of an online social network. I don't know anybody that used that. Oh, no, it was terrible. (laughs) I used it for one game. um, Actually, two games, sorry. Um, uh, Dawn of War 2. I used it in the early days before it moved over to Steam. um, And another game called... I can't even remember. It was a real-time strategy game that I got for nothing, basically. So do you do you think that Blizzard is kind of looked upon a bit more favorably because they don't really distribute anyone else's games? It's kind of all their own stuff? I mean, with the exception of Destiny 2 now. And the fact that all their stuff is beloved by the fans. Yeah. You know, they have a really strong rapport with their, with their fans and their users, mm-hmm. uh, much unlike a lot of other developers and companies. I think it's um, in the same way that Valve stuff on Steam is phenomenal, right? Yeah. So if you're playing Dodo, if you're playing Counter-Strike, all of that stuff, they put a lot of resources into it and they've got all the Team back fortress. They make a, a big deal to make it work well. Um, Blizzard have the same thing. They've got the resources, they put, pour it into their own stuff and it has evolved over time. I will say, I just got the Steam stats today just to see what was going on yep. as far as um, current players, etc. go. Top 10 games, Dota 2 and Counter-Strike. One two and Valve two, games. of course. Yep. But then you've got like... Uh, H1Z1, Player Unknown's Battlegrounds, which is huge at the moment. Uh, got another Team Fortress in there. And then you've got GTA, Ark, Football Manager, Warframe. Basically, like the top 10, apart from Dota, which is a free game anyway to pl- like to download and play. Free to start. So, yeah, yep. free to start. Yep. Um, and Counter-Strike, you can pick up for bugger all. I think full price is $14.99. Besides that, you know, most of the other games that are doing quite well are not Valve games anyway. Yeah. Like, you know, they haven't got... There's no reason for them to have this stranglehold on the market, basically. Um, what was I going to say? Okay, and as far as uh, recent help request activity goes on Steam, just to kind of put on the put you to where they are as far as how they deal with... Uh, their dealings with their customers, etc. Um, so in the last 24 hours, they have had 55,000 refund requests. Um, account recovery is about 12,000. Purchase and billing support about two thousand, and game tech support about two thousand. That's just a little bit of an eye opener of what they actually do as far as their help is. And most of it, uh, let's call that I don't know, seventy five percent is refund requests. So hang on, where'd you get this these stats? This is straight from the Steam site. Oh, okay. Really? Yeah, I got a lot of stats stats on there. You just have to go Hmm. looking a bit. That's really. And unfortunately, Origin doesn't have these kind of stats. That's one thing I will say about Steam. They they do throw some stuff up good See, that, or bad. See, that's a level of transparency that I wasn't expecting. I was surprised myself, yeah. to be honest. That is a huge number, 55,000. Um, you know, In that's, 24 hours. Yeah, that's quite a lot if you think about that as it goes along. With about an hour to two-hour response time. Yeah, some people will get their refund uh, quickly. I mean, the, some of the policies as well have kind of become more in line with uh, what the Australian refund policy is. You know, you've got a certain amount of time. You can change your mind for any reason. You've got to return it. But they're usually for purchases or services <clears throat> rendered. Um, you know, you do have a lot of rights in Australian law that aren't being reflected in the thing and I think that's why the ACCC kind of went after them because yeah. they were saying you know look you're selling to Australian customers you're making a lot of money off Australian customers they tried you, to say that we're not selling in Australia 
just no. to the customers. And that's where they kind of, yeah, got in trouble. You know what? If you bring back a th- more than $1,000 worth of stuff from overseas, yes. uh, you have to pay GST. Look, Steam dominance, Steam's dominance is not good for anyone. Uh, monopolies are never good. And as much as I think it's an okay service, I think that hopefully something's done about its stranglehold on the, you know, on its world. Uh, pretty fly for a shy guy. I'm sorry I'm not abbreviate your username to shy guy in the future. <laughs> yeah. Um, this is a lot of YouTubers I've seen at the base of their video, base that their videos, base their videos yeah. around playing short, bad games. They pick up something off Steam for cheap and play under the minimum and get a refund and use the money to buy something else. Mm. That is an interesting That's way to game the system. Game the system. Yeah. Uh, a lot game of people, the system. Yeah, game no, the system. Yeah, pun intended. Uh, yes, a bit, sure. A bit. Why not? All right, seven uh, on, guys. Anyway. <laughs> That's it. I'm buying you guys a copy of Bad Rats and you guys can play that on your thing. Bad Rats. Oh, look, get on get on the old, the old YouTubes and uh, check out Bad right. Rats. Uh, let's jump into our next topic. I'm sure we can talk about Steam that we all could, day. But uh, that's enough. That's had enough bloody press for now. Let's jump into the next one. Did you know Pixel Ziv is available on other platforms? You can find previous episodes on iTunes, Pocket Casts, YouTube, and on the Pixel Ziv website. Earlier, we spoke to David Clark. He is a game developer. He's a gameplay programmer, in fact. And he actually made one of the games that was sort of the early Xbox One generations uh, indie hits. It was called Ori and the Blind Forest. Um, and David made it right here in WA uh, in a very interesting sort of situation. Um, we talked to him and we talked to his housemate and pal, Simon Holland, a cinematographer in his own right, about the the game that they made and sort of how it came about and what it was like to make a game in a, a virtual studio. Basically, the, the company that developed Ori and the Blind Forest, Moon Studios, is an online company. So all the people are like all around the world. There's people uh, in Austria, in Israel, in Canada. So it's just a bunch of people online talking on Skype. I'm David Clark. Um, I worked on a video game called Ori and the Blind Forest for Xbox One and PC. My name is Simon Holland, and I'm a cinematographer, and I'm here to tell some funny David stories while he was making Ori in the Blind Forest. <laughs> <laughs> so, David, tell me a little bit about how you sort of started to come and, and work on Ori in the Blind Forest. How did that happen? Um, yeah, sure. So uh, one of my friends who was originally Simon's neighbor, um, he, he was working on a game called War Soup uh, with Thomas and Gennady um, and a couple of other people. And one day I just, like, I saw him working on it and he was saying something about animations weren't being hooked up right or something. So I was like, oh, let me take a look. Um, and, and it was being developed in Unity. So I got talking to Thomas Marler, who was also a friend of mine. Like, we just met online a long time ago and I got involved in that project. And while while they were working on War Soup, um, me, Thomas, and another guy called James started doing this little project on the side. It was meant to just be a small little platformer game. Um, but as we worked more and more on it, we got new ideas and other people in the team got interested and that became like the main product that was that was being developed. So it just kind so, of yeah, it just, flowed. It from just there. sort of flowed. It was honestly yeah. the weirdest thing. Like it was literally just a little side project. Warsuit was going to be the big the mm. big kind of like this is the money maker. If there's you know like a the fun project, 
And this is a little side project that just got a little bit out of control. Yeah. Originally, it was meant to just take three months to develop, and it ended yeah. up taking five years. It so. went out of control to critical acclaim. Yeah. <laughs> so um, you're just talking about that other project you were talking about, War Soup, and how do you know when you've got a point where you've said, okay, well, now we have to switch over to change priorities if, if this was the thing that you were kind of pouring your, all, all the effort into? Yeah, it's it, it's it's hard. Um I think in video game development, you just get a lot of ideas that go on the back burner. So, you know, sometimes you'll you'll be developing something and you'll be like, "Nah, this can't go anywhere." So you'll you'll ditch it. But like, uh, War Soup is just on the back burner. Hopefully, that'll get revisited and turned into some kind of game. Um, but yeah, like, it just depends on interests. Like, who in the team is interested in it? Like, what publishers think of the product? Um, there's not, there's not really an answer for it. <laughs> it just you feel it. it. Just, you yeah, feel you just it, you feel it. it. So how did you know that this was the the project that you were starting to work on? Like, how did you know that that was something that was something you should be putting your interest in? Was it publishers that kind of said, "Hey, you guys should work on this," or was it something that just kind of happened naturally? Yeah, I think it was just uh, the the publishers were very interested in it because um because it was like a arty two D game. Uh, there wouldn't be a huge investment of money to develop such a game because. 3D games have a much bigger budget because there's a lot more assets to produce, whereas a 2D game is is all painted. Um, and I think <clears throat> I think Microsoft were excited about like a, a story story based platforming game, so it just it seemed like a safer option for for everyone. And the team was very enthusiastic about making a game like that. So I think all those doors were open because of Warsuit. Like Warsuit was meant to be a big deal. Yeah, and the doors started to open on the basis of that. It like you said before when we were on the way here, it's kind of like Overwatch, and this was like what seven or eight years before Overwatch, so it was that kind of deal. And those doors were open when you pitched Dory, then that sort of that was a continuity of that. Yeah. So you talked a bit a little bit about this, and you know some of the early interviews you did. You said that you know you guys met for the first time at E3. Uh, you were yeah. in a virtual studio that you you know never had been in the same place until that point. We were showing off your game. Um, what is that sort of work process like? How how do you collaborate with people across the world? And do do you think this is the future of of game development? I think it is the future. Um, the the best thing about working online is that you can get like you're not limited to the talent that's just in your local area um also i think working from home is really fun because you just you don't have like a boss peering over your shoulder um so the the way that we worked was uh we used skype mostly we we experimented with a lot of different things like uh there was google wave at one point that's been discontinued but it it basically became google docs uh you know you could type documents you could see each other typing in there and you can make modifications in real time um, so definitely like over the last couple of years, online services, cloud-based storage and all that have have played like a really important role to enable this kind of thing to be developed. How big was the team um, when you got to release? Oh, I think it was about 13 or 14 people. Uh, we basically, towards the end of production, we uh, got a lot of other people involved because we needed more artists to do all the, the set dressing. So... So when we when we started, we were about I think we were about five people because we just had like I was doing the programming. Um, there was Ari doing QA and some tools in the editor. Gennady was like lead programmer, so he was sort of directing the project, making sure it was on the programming level, like working out. Uh, Thomas was the main. He's like the head of the the studio. Him and Gennady are the heads of the studio, but 
Ori was like his idea, right? Um, and James was the animator and Max was an artist. So that was like six people, I think I've just said. Mm. Um, and then we got like more artists. So, so yeah, the, the team grew towards the end. That, I guess that's why you moved to London because the time zone here is just killer. Yeah, like I like to, uh, yeah, like I I was basically working during the night, and the the problem with that is, like, if you're working nine to five hours in Europe, but you're living in Australia, then you end up staying up till like three a.m., four a.m. But then when you're in crunch mode, I ended up staying up until like seven a.m., eight a.m., nine a.m. I actually got into this like weird pattern at some point where. I'd finish my work day at like 8 a.m. in the morning and then I'd just like go to the beach and enjoy a bit of sunshine because I hadn't been out all day and then go home and sleep from like 11 till 4 or something to get like 5, 6, 7 hours. It depended on how close we were to a deadline, but it, it wasn't a healthy lifestyle, so I moved over yeah, to Europe. Yeah, he'd forget to, to eat for long periods of the time. Yeah. Is there a hangover from success? Like arguably Ori was as good as you're ever going to succeed with a an indie game. It was like bestseller, won a BAFTA, won a bunch of awards. Yeah. <laughs> what the de- the day after that? What happens? Like, I feel like the drive would go because you're like, well, we won the Olympics. You know, I can retire. The notch phenomenon. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's it's really strange. Like, I I was expecting that, but like, you know, when the when the game gets awards and stuff, you're like, oh, that's that's incredible. Like, that's really awesome. But it's not the same. Like, it's not. You don't get such a high from it as you'd you'd expect, you know, because I mean, you you know that it's a team effort and you're very proud of the team and everything, but like you still, I don't know. I think the most enjoyable part of making a game is is making the game and then reading the first like couple of reviews, seeing other people play it, that kind of stuff. Like I, my absolute favorite thing is just watching a Twitch streamer play my game, uh, play the play Ori in the Blind Forest because. I can see them struggling at certain bits and, you know, it's just so much fun. But, like, when it's, when it's an award, it's just, like, it's incredible to get that award, but, like, it doesn't seem to mean as much to me as I thought it would. Do you think there's a different type of expectation then from the people who are giving out awards versus the people who are playing games? And, and do you feel like you'd much, you know, it'd be much better to please the people playing at home rather yeah, than someone who wins an award? Um, yeah, definitely you want to... Please, but but it's hard pleasing the people because you know one person will say that the the balance of the game is perfect, and another person will say it's way too hard. So you can't cater to everyone. You sort of have to just. I had a couple of friends uh, that I mentioned that I was chatting to you last night, and they said, "Look, what you need to do is you need to punch him for the Ginso tree." <laughs> um, because, well, sorry, the, what, the, 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 the Ginso tree. The Ginso tree, yeah, because yeah. um, it was very difficult. Uh, but they said it's an amazing, beautiful game, um, something phenomenal. But yeah, it's we're we're like well aware that the Ginso tree was a massive difficulty spike, but. When you finally complete it, when you finally manage to do the whole thing without making any mistakes, like it's so satisfying. I've I've seen like Twitch streamers that are just like yelling and screaming, um, and then they get to the top and they're like, "Whew! Oh, that feels so incredible!" You know, it, the the satisfaction is based on how difficult something is. Uh, but actually, when we made the definitive edition of Ori, we tried to address that by making an easy mode. And in easy mode, if you get halfway up the Ginzo tree, it actually makes a checkpoint, like. So <clears throat> it should be a bit easier for people. But yeah. that's no fun. You gotta play it. You gotta play every game at, at medium to start. Yeah. yeah. You can't go easy and then just get plow through the narrative. It needs Look, to be how they designed it, like how they wanted you to play it. 
if Dark Souls has taught us anything, oh so people God. like to be punished. So yeah, it's don't be friends well, with I mean, people we, that are playing Dark Souls. Yeah. they're horrible to be we, around. We were playing Dark Souls when we were working on Ori, so there there were a lot of kind of influences. It's David, you've moved to to Liverpool now. Do you think you'd ever make the the trip back to Australia and be part of the Australian game development scene, or is it are you are you firmly rooted there? One now? one word for you, mate. Two hundred megabits. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. The. Uh, I don't know. Like, I mean, I'm I'm just in England at the moment. I'm I'm really enjoying living in England because I've I've got some relatives there. Um, I've got a girlfriend. She's scouse, <laughs> but yeah. I do kind of miss the the summers in Australia and the beach and the barbecues. But you so, can always you can always come back for you know your birthday and you can come back for the you know for a yeah. holiday. <laughs> dark, the, dark Ages Internet. Dark Ages <laughs> Internet. Exactly. <laughs> Well, look, uh, David, Simon, thank you very much for joining us today. It's been a real pleasure to chat to you. Good luck with everything. We're going to be uh, very excited to see what happens in the future. Cool. Thank you. And thank you to all the sifters for keeping it going. (laughs) David Clark, gameplay programmer of Ori and the Blind Forest. Uh, Ori and the Blind Forest made by Moon Studios, which is a virtual studio. It doesn't actually exist in the real world. It all exists on the internet (laughs) where we like to keep things. And also thanks to Simon Holland, who is a cinematographer, uh, a video producer does a whole bunch of cool stuff. Just a general champ as well. Just a nice guy came in, told us interesting stories about uh, about Dave, and uh, you know, making fun of him as he's spending the late nights making this game. Did he call our fans sifters? Sifters, sifters. yeah, I know, it's in my head. I love it. <laughs> Say hi to the sifters. Uh, sifters, stick around because mm. we're going to jump into our next topic. Oh man. You're listening to Pixel Sift. Or you might be watching Pixelsift on Twitch. Pixelsift. So we all have our favourite video games, our personal go-tos, when we go to when we first sit down and switch on our systems. But we all have that one game that's just for us, one that our friends just can't seem to sink their teeth into, but you can't get enough of. Are we crazy or are they just playing it wrong? Crazy, mate. (laughs) Every time. (laughs) Every time. Look, <laughs> yeah, go on. Look, I tell you, I, the game that comes to mind for me, and I've so, ta- talked about this on, on many Countless occasions. Times. Many occasions. Yeah. Um, Final Fantasy VII, the original PlayStation okay. game. Uh, if you didn't play it in the PlayStation era and you're not of that thing, like I've introduced it to, so, like my brother has played it. He played it in our house. That's fine. His mm-hmm. friends who didn't play that game at the time just don't get it. And just think it's weird and like really slow. That and, was, I mean, if you weren't around for that time when that game was out, like it was. Cult, instant, huge. It was massive. It was just like the bee's knees, and and obviously anybody who had or or got into it was just like incredibly into it. And I snoozed on that. I had friends that were onto it, and I didn't. I didn't have a PlayStation until many years later, so I didn't get to experience it until many years later. But I I'd missed out. I understand completely what they're on about, and it was it was <laughs> it was me being crazy. They were right. Yeah, yeah, it was. Well, look, this is the thing. I think uh, that you know. Uh, a lot of experience is where you are in a certain place and time um, and you don't know exactly what other people are doing at that time. Maybe they're having different experiences. It's a very involved game as well. So yeah, it's something was. you can just casually pick up. No, exactly right. And, you know, it's, it was it was three discs at the time oh, on man, PlayStation, right. which was massive. Um, and, and actually for us, it really helps that we played it so much because originally... And this used to be the case. Uh, Mitch, you may not remember this. Okay, uh, yeah. But We're back here. It's now. one of these yeah. things again. Yeah. Uh, the, the PlayStation, <laughs> PlayStation One, and the PlayStation Two uh, did not have built-in memory in any capacity. No. So you had to buy a memory card, and we bought a PlayStation, um, and we had the game, 
but it was like, like megabyte ones as well. And fifty bucks for a memory card, so that's the cost of a game. So we didn't buy a memory card; we just played through the first and disc you... repeatedly and kept the power on. Um, I kept Grand Turismo on for three days when I first bought it. Yeah, don't want to lose your progress. <laughs> Did you also um, ride your chariot to the store to get that? <laughs> Yeah. Mate, we, we didn't even have chariots. We had to walk uh, up, uphill both ways through the snow. <laughs> both <laughs> ways. Yeah. yeah. How many wolves? Uh, heaps of wolves. And they all had memory cards, and it was really, really bad. Uh, Anyways. <laughs> go on. So, Mitch, you've got some games. What that games people... have you loved but your friends have not? I like Dust and Elysian's Tale. Okay. That's okay. fun. Lots I mean, of people like just, that game. Yeah. I, but my friends don't. <laughs> They're popular games. <laughs> bad example. Yeah, it's a bad example, but I, I, I was just – my friends all look at it they go – all the, all the dude does is he spins around and hits things. I'm like, that's awesome. He spins around and hits things. That's the best. Okay. I'm going to buy like, uh, trying to Mitch convince. one of those whirly birds so you can just like spin yeah. in the wind. Or yeah. a fidget spinner. Oh. Fidget spinner. Yeah. Get yeah. on that. Get on that topical and relevant. Topical trend. Yeah. <clears throat> Anyways. Nick brought one in today and I'm not, not, ha- not, happy, not happy with the fidget spinner. So the important <laughs> thing I think we need to all need to recognize here is that Scott has some strong opinions about The Last of Us, which yes. are very wrong. Um, and I think he is uh, just playing it Look, wrong. Exactly. No, I think I am playing it, playing it wrong. And so this was brought up last time that playing it on the, the hardest setting is the only option. And I think that would have helped with some of my issues with it. But like, and I think I will like it. I'm going to go back and give it another shot. So like, stop with the hate mail. It's totally unnecessary. <laughs> Don't need it. Yeah, um, most of that's just from Nick <laughs> over there. Um, but another really popular one that Nick's probably going to hate that I didn't like, just couldn't get into because it was just not a re- enough reward and whatever. The Souls series. Uh oh. Pick one. Demons, Darks. I didn't play. Haven't played Dark Souls two. The Borns. <laughs> I haven't played. Uh, the, look, the Born was okay. Dark Souls two. I won't play. I just won't do it. Um, but it's just, it, uh, it's just not my kind of game. It, I feel that I would waste a lot of time on it and I'd feel at the end of it after I'd finished that I'd wasted too much time on a game that I didn't get enough out of. Um, but other ones I'd, I'd, I personally um, don't, don't like. Um, any Need for Speed? Since, oh, really? Since, really? since the okay. originals. Like the first what about, couple. What's your position on when Hot they're Pursuit on PC? 2? The original Hot Pursuit 2. Hot Pursuit original was good. I can't remember 2. Oh. I can't remember the differences. They're pretty similar. But that, see, that all those that, that little error of games for Need for Speed, they're all similar. Where do you sit on the Burnout series? Burnout is pretty fun, and that's not uh, it's not in the same group for me. It's yeah. barely a racing game. Yeah. Um, the crew, as far as racing games, oh, that no. thing was a joke. <laughs> uh, Who loved that game, though? Did you did have some? I no, but I, mean, but I was pushing know. to buying it. Yeah, I actually Mitch. don't know anyone who <laughs> <laughs> actually enjoyed the crew. Um, I'm sorry to say, but I was very excited it was for it. And just um, while yeah. we're saying topical, I mentioned it earlier in the show, God's Recon, um, my friend Sean that I play with, you might, guys might be familiar with me dropping his name all the time because that's who I play Battlefield, etc. with. He is a huge Ubisoft fan, which I just can't dig. Um, so he was. <laughs> we're not going to introduce him to Oscar Britton. No. It's funny because <laughs> last time Oscar was on, The Division had just come out and Sean was all about that and Oscar was like, hate, hate, hate. But anyway, I bought <laughs> Wildlands and it's just, it's a poor man's Far Cry. Uh, and another one from Ubisoft, uh, Rainbow Six Siege. Um, disappointment. James loves that game. It's a good game if, when you finally get to play it. Yeah. But slow load times or if the team kills or whatever, you have bad people with you. Game's over like that. Mm. Um, I think as yeah. the important thing to sort of remember about this is kind of what we came to in the beginning is that like in a certain time and place, like I know for a fact that I would love the Final Fantasy uh, Final Fantasy 15 or 16, mm. whatever the most recent one is now. <laughs> yep. I love those games. They're mm. really great. I just know that I absolutely do not have time to even touch them. Um, That's so why I don't play I WoW and shit. Able, I wouldn't be able to play it, so I'm not even going to look at it. I Same. think, like, n- nothing really 
isn't as embarrassing as like you're showing someone the game and they're like, this is the best thing ever. This is the best thing ever. And they're sitting next to you going, yeah, okay, mate. Do you know what this happens what more not? with rather than video games? Movies? Uh, board games. If you're trying to tell people <laughs> how to play a board game, you're like, stick with it. It's really good when you get it. Um, but yeah, they don't get it often. Games, uh, on the flip side, games that I loved that my friends didn't love, uh, Gran Turismo, of course, all of them. I love my car games, but none of my, I don't have any car game playing friends at all. Yeah. So I'm, I'm alone there. Yeah. Uh, Pro Evo. And this is going back to like... Pro Evo 4, I think, back in like... I think you're going to have to clarify what you mean by that. So, Pro, Pro Evolution, Evolution Soccer. Yeah. Uh, if you're down with the kids, they call it Pro Evo. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I'm a Pro Evo Soccer person, and obviously the world is predominantly FIFA. Um, I haven't played for many years now, because I just fell out of favour. Because no one would play with you. Because <laughs> no one would play with me. Um, but yeah. That's... Is that Pro Evo is the one with all the fake names and all the characters? <laughs> Isn't it? Like the, yeah, uh, yeah, basically. The, yeah. the Perth soccer boys and yeah, stuff like yeah, that. Yeah. We did talk about it in one of the early episodes of Pixel Soup, didn't we? No, no, no. Perth yes, we did. We, yeah. th- we did. We talked about this earlier. It was, yeah, it was one of the first very episodes. Yeah. Um, and also Res. was something I really loved, but nobody really gave, nobody would even give the time. But whatever, that's because I'm an audio music person, I guess. Whatever. Just a nerd of some variety. Yeah, something. Look, uh, you know, you must be a nerd of some variety because you've listened to a whole episode of Pixel Sift. Um, you're a sifter. Um, this is all That's the time. That's not going had- away, is it? No, it's here for here to stay. Thanks, uh, Simon, for introducing us to that one. Um, look, we do a show every fortnight. Actually, we do shows every week, but we do an episode every fortnight. We do one of these every um, fortnight. And you can find all those on our website, which is pixelsift.com.au. That's it. Um, we are available on a multitude of different podcasting platforms, aren't we, Mitch? Yes, we are. So we are on our website. You can all stream, you can stream the episodes off there. You can subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Pocket casts or using casts is just a stupid word to say. Along the time, it's cuss, lost cuss, meaning cuss. now. Uh, Google yeah. Play in the US as well. Google Play in the US and the RSS link on our page. And if you, if you that, and we go live every fortnight, as Johnny just mentioned. And our next actual episode of Pixel Serve will be on the eighth of June. Perfect, mm. nice one. Uh, m- What's your name? The other one. This Scott. guy. Yeah, the other Beard guy. boy. Um, uh, we have social media. <laughs> we do. We have facebook.com forward slash pixel sift. That's a little video joke for you people out there watching at forward home. Forward slash pixel sift. Uh, Twitch.tv forward slash pixel sift. YouTube.com forward slash pixel sift AU. That's correct. Uh, thanks for joining us. That's all we've got time for. We will see you guys again this time on the 8th of June. Peace out. See you then. Bye. Hey, when am I going to be a mod on the... Uh... You're not a mod. Can I? No. 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 Okay.